Hello and welcome to the Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz and welcome back, or if it's your first time, welcome to the Faith and Science Podcast for the week of February 25th, 2018. This is the second week of Lent and I am so excited to have you back. Again, I want to just thank you if you've reached out and given me some feedback. It's been awesome. I'm glad to hear that this is being utilized by the community. And if you haven't, I'd encourage you. I love hearing suggestions. I love hearing what you guys are thinking of it and ways I can possibly make this better. I'm really excited about this Lenten season as I'm getting into it and starting thinking about all these different things on how we're going to do this. I'm really getting excited. So before we really get into the nitty gritty, I want to do my one plug. Uh, well, actually two plugs this week for the podcast. One, if you haven't been checking out workingpreacher.com, it's a great resource. I absolutely love it. As be- not being an ordained minister, it gives me a lot of way to actually guide and give me some ideas on where actual pastors are coming from. Their Sermon Brainwaves podcast is absolutely fantastic. It's great for pastors or just people who are in the church who want to get a different perspective on the upcoming gospel or the one you just listened to. Absolutely great resource. Over 10 years of podcasts there for every single week. I absolutely love it. I highly, highly recommend it. The second thing I'm going to actually plug this week, and we'll, you'll end up hearing more why, is SciShow. And SciShow is just kind of this really interesting thing. They take a lot of different subjects. They have one also dedicated specifically to space, uh, but it, it's John Green, and it's just an awesome content place where they pull a lot of things. They have a lot of really good resources. And as you're getting into these podcasts, if you're wanting to find just some interesting scientific facts, I'd highly recommend Sideshow. I love listening to them. And so that's my second plug this week. So as we get into this week, we give now the second Sunday in Lent, and we're kind of getting into this reflection time. And this, for me, when I look and think about Lent, I always think about it as this kind of conceptualize and thinking about different things you know we you know for me recording this on the 18th you know we're just getting into the beginning of Lent for me I'm actually really excited uh, for what I'm doing for Lent like I talked about last week some people give up stuff I like doing stuff for Lent and since I'm at home with my parents I've decided to try every night to sit down with my mother and just pray together and it's been really awesome for me. And I, if you get the opportunity to pray with somebody consistently, I'm finding it's just amazing for me to hear the human condition and hear my mother, someone who I've looked up to literally my whole life, and that she, she struggles with different things. She goes through stuff that's very similar to me. And, and just hearing how it's different but it's still really impactful for me to be able to hear that. And I'd highly recommend it. It's super energizing in a way to really, you can, you can totally relate. You can relate to somebody at that level. But as we get into this week, we are going to have a gospel out of Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. And this is where, again, now we're we're transitioning what Jesus is talking about. We're transitioning as we're preparing for the cross. Even though it's weeks away yet, we are now, this is a dramatic change in the gospel reading, and especially that we're jumping this far ahead. But this is a... 
this reading is where Jesus, again, is telling that he is going to have to suffer, he is going to have to die, and he's predicting his death and resurrection. And Peter pulls him aside and it's, it says, essentially, what are you doing? You can't, you can't lead people like this. You can't be like this. You're, you're out of your mind. You can't be doing this. And that's where Jesus essentially says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Like, essentially this, I have to keep moving forward. You know, starting verse 33. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind on not divine things, but human things. And then he kind of gets into this whole thing of, you you know, for those who want to save their life will lose it. And for those who lose their life for my sake, for the gospel will save it. And talking in these very broad, broad terms. And this, along with the first reading, the Old Testament reading, will kind of be where I'm kind of going with this and giving some some scientific background with this. And I think I think we have something really ex- exciting this week. And so the first first reading, the Old Testament reading, is out of Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, and 15 and 16. And this is where we get the story of Abram becoming Abraham, and Sarai becoming Sarah, and God making this covenant with them that they will multitude and, you know, they will have this great nation. So this huge promise and that he will bless her with her own child. We get out of this reading, you know, and so But it starts right in verse 1 that Abram is 99 years old. So we already know conceptually he's long past, long past the times of having his own children. And now, and he's going to have this mighty nation. So this, this, again, turning things on its head type of concept. The psalm we have is Psalm 22, verses 23. 23 through 31. And this is, again, this whole psalm goes around just the fear of the Lord and what, you know, that he he lays down these great commissions and different things of that nature. These these covenants that he will make with us, that he, he you know, that he wants to live in our hearts, that he wants to be with us, and that he he has these plans for us to prosper for future generations. So this very affirming the power of God psalm, I'll put it that way. And then our second reading, our New Testament reading, is Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. And again, this gets into kind of the faith of Abraham to go through all this and gets into then where you have the justification of faith and how Jesus did all this stuff for us. And I just feel like the Romans reading in a lot of ways is kind of just reaffirming what has been focused on in those first two readings. And that's why I focused a little bit more on these two readings. And as I was going through them initially, I'm not going to lie, it was very difficult for me to think of how the heck am I going to do this? And I was talking with someone and they brought up this idea and I've run with it. And I think it actually magnifies not only the points that we're getting out of the text here, but I think it's something 
that the church as a whole needs to look at and reflect on. And I think you'll figure that out as we get into it. So we're going to take a trip down memory lane way back. We're going to go into the beginning of the Renaissance. So we have to imagine this is this is definitely the time right around Martin Luther. So you're going to be having the Reformation going on during this time. And to kind of lay the landscape of where science is, we're going to go to Copernicus. So Copernicus, one of the things that we should you know about this guy is he's a canon in the church. Now at this point the church is still he's part of the and we'll find continually he's part of the Catholic Church. And even as the Protestants break away, he stays with the Catholic Church. So he's a canon with the church, which essentially means that he's helping the church run. He's not technically a priest. He's supposedly uh, commits to celibacy, though there's a lot of rumors that he wasn't exactly great at that. Uh, but he is essentially helping making sure the church runs, Does helps with some of the finances, kind of helps like, think of it kind of like a church secretary with on steroids, that they get to also dabble with helping with the finances and just one of these people who's essentially making sure the church is running. And, and so Copernicus is a highly educated man. He has a medical degree. He's a lawyer. He he has all these degrees. And in fact, part of his job also with the church is doing medical calls. But he starts looking at the stars. And at this point, the stars in the sky at night. And at this point, everything is still going back to Aristotle and Ptolemy which is these logic thinkers who are establishing the, the, the idea that the earth is the center of the universe and that everything revolves around the earth. And it only makes sense because as we're on earth and you look up in the sky, we see everything else move, so we must be the center. It's obvious. And so as they're making all their star charts and everything, because of the Greco uh, Greco faith, if you want to put it that, or the Greco influence is probably the better term for it, everything is circles. So everything circles the earth, and if it doesn't quite fit with that, it's another circle. And you can look up these maps, and again, I'll attach some videos that kind of go through this history decently well but you'll see some of these charts and they just look absolutely crazy to try to track stars and planets and all these different things it's just it looks it's a mess and so Copernicus in May of 1514 kind of lays out this preliminary statement essentially saying that the sun is the center of the universe and that we're revolving around that. And he's kind of just throwing it out as a feeler, essentially kind of thinking about it. And this is kind of a progressive idea, if you think about it, essentially kind of getting different people's feedback. This isn't happening in the science world yet. And again, it's it, it technically at this time is natural philosophy to give you a, a kind of an indicator of where we're at. And this is totally taken to town 
by the church. Martin Luther, in some of actually his table talks, it doesn't directly say Copernicus, but he's definitely kind of bashing this idea of that how aren't we the center of the universe. Melanchthon, like essentially the right-hand man to Luther, publicly comes out against this. And so Copernicus, you know, kind of keeps working with this, revising this. It's essentially is a major work for him, the major part, the later half of his life. And publishes it in 1543. Rumor is that he essentially signed off on the final pages of it the day of his death, on his deathbed. Essentially, yup, here you go, and pushes it out into the world. Now, is it perfect? No, because again, he's still going off of these circles, so there were still some things that weren't working out, and so there was still some debate. There's then a guy called Johannes Kepler, who takes the notes from Tycho Brahe, which, again, is a very interesting astronomer, very crazy life. Again, I can attach a video down below about him. Uh, so Kepler takes the notes from Brahe, starts looking at them, and says, we're thinking about this wrong. These aren't circles. Even though that's like the holy Greco thing, the holy shape in the Greco world is spheres and circles, these are ellipses. These, and that's, and suddenly once they did that, suddenly some of these, the math side of it lined up. And this is around the exact same time that Galileo takes, hears about the telescope, makes a more powerful telescope, and in two ways discovers two different things that totally kind of set where Copernicus wasn't 100% correct with it being the center of the universe, but it was a much better model for our solar system. And that was First, he notices that there are four moons that are circling Jupiter. And at this point, the only planets as far out as we know are Saturn. So to be able to see that he, to get that he's getting four moons circling Jupiter is a big deal. But he sees that there's four moons circling Jupiter, which establishes that not everything circles us. And two, he notices that Venus has phases like the moon, like our moon, that it goes through where it's full and then it has its halves. And But the closest it ever gets to us is on the new moon, that it, it's visibly larger. This then would be a problem with the geocentric model or the prior model and Copernicus's model then makes more sense. And as we know from now, from going out and sending out satellites and photographs and people, we can all verify this. And this is all stuff done in the early 16th century. So that we're talking, you know, probably the latest 1550 that we're verifying this. And it's this type of stuff that totally changes how natural philosophy or science gets looked at. Because it's this idea of it's, it can't be just logic. It's empiricism. It's that you have to observe it and then experiment to essentially provide support to show that this is true. And so 
the it takes a long time for this model, even with the decent amount of support that it has, to gain traction. And the biggest place that I would see this is the church, which we have to remember at this time has a lot of power. But the church did not accept the model until 1758. Over 200 years after we have solid evidence that this is happening. Now, I'm guessing that most of your congregations and in your congregations are not really having a big debate about whether the sun is the center of our solar system. But this is a big deal at this time. And we'll get into that probably in some other podcast on why. But it, it exemplifies to me this idea of God's time and what God does is different than what we think we should be doing to the gospel reading. Get behind me, Satan, for you're setting your mind on things that are not things of the divine, but of human things. I would argue, knowing that at this point that the sun is the solar center of our solar system with very good support, I think it's actually very neat that the center of our whole solar system is the light. Just like the light of Christ is the center of our our faith. But at that time, even up to, said there's no way that this has happened. We, we get so wrapped up, we get so caught up and what, where we are now, or what things have been, forget that God doesn't work that way. God keeps changing. God keeps moving. God keeps doing. Think about for one moment how big our planet is, really, in the scope of things. And that God is listening to your prayer wherever you are, and whoever else is praying to him. And yet, on the same time, he is creating, he is also making present, he is he is there, he's our friend, he's, he's in each moment with us, with all these people around the world, creating, doing all these amazing things, all at once, tirelessly, tirelessly. We are, Jesus in this, and we see it again in this Genesis reading. God doesn't, there is no limits to what our God can do. And and Jesus is doing an about face in this moment and saying, Peter, you don't know what I am being called to do. I am being called, as we know from this side of the crucifixion, he's being called to something so much greater. But if you put yourself in Peter's shoes at that moment, that's absolutely crazy. Just if we put ourselves in 1514 when Copernicus is saying the sun is the center of what we will now say our solar system, but the center of the universe, that's nuts. Can't you see the stars moving? Can't you see all this stuff moving? We're obviously the center. But just like Christ, Copernicus was actually onto something in this case. He shows and ends up having the support to show that that's not the case. 
that things are different. And the church took 200 years to finally say, yeah, you're right. And I think it's one of these times, as we're in this time of reflection, this time of contemplation, preparing ourselves, I think in a lot of ways, preparing ourselves to, as, as Jesus prepares and moves toward Jerusalem, that what are we clinging on to that Christ is saying not to cling on to? Where is it, like we've talked before, do does Christ want us to take that leap of faith and just say, trust me, I know what I'm doing and this is the way it needs to be? How am I, what am I telling you to take this risk and I'm going to be there with you? You know, look at Abram and Sarai. You know, the changing of the name, the, the major shift in their life and that they're going to have a son. And we know it's true from being on this side of the crucifixion, actually being on this side of Genesis. This, what God is doing in our church, in our community, in our world, he's here, he's moving, he's doing things. We just have to realize that it's maybe not the way we think it should be. Our role is, in this case, is to not be Peter and to be pulling aside God and telling him what, what he should and shouldn't be doing. And what, you're crazy. You can't be doing this. You're, you're, you're sacrificing your own ministry. And, and Christ totally turns it around. He turns it around in the aspect that, starting in verse 35, for those who want to save their life will lose it. And for those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For though, for what will profit them to gain the whole wide world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. Christ is coming. Christ is calling each and every one of you to amazing things. And he's calling his church to do amazing things. We just have to trust what God's doing. It might be seem weird to us. It might seem out of place to us. You might question, why is this going on? But you have to trust that he has a plan. He knows what he is doing. because of this knowledge and because of this that's because we have seen it time and time and time again that's what the beauty of our scriptures is it's, it shows us that we can take that leap of faith it shows us that we can trust and believe that God is going to be with us in these moments and make us exceedingly fruitful just like he did to Abraham
So I want again, I want to thank you for tuning in and listening to this. I love hearing your feedback. I love hearing how this is benefiting you. If it's of help at all to you. But I'll wrap it up like we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.